Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. If you're enjoying the show, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review and share this podcast with your friends and network. It'll help us get more listeners to the show. So thank you. Previous guests on the show have included Brian Russell, Alex Absalom, and J.T. Thomas. But today's guest is Denny Heiberg. Denny is an elder in the Florida Conference of the United Methodist Church, where he pastored Grace at Fort Clark, UMC, in Gainesville, Florida, for many years. He currently serves with TMS Global and Discipleship Training and Member Care. He, he is also on the national leadership team with the Bonhoeffer Project, a discipleship initiative that trains leaders in the global church to become disciple-making leaders. We have a fantastic conversation around building a discipleship culture and making disciples as grandparents and much more. So enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by All Nations Kansas City. Have you ever felt wholly discontent that one-third of the world doesn't know Jesus, that the church as we know it won't reach all peoples on earth, and that it's hard to find ways to use your gifts for the kingdom of God? Well, you're not alone. We feel it too. With 30 years of experience igniting movements to Jesus around the world, committed to following the lead of the Holy Spirit, All Nations has gifted trainers and coaches with time in the trenches. Do you want to make disciples in hard places? Do you want to join a like-minded community? Are you tired of compromising for the status quo? Then join us on the leading edge. Go to allnations.us to learn more and to sign up for summer CPX. CPX, or Church Planting Experience, is a three-week immersion in Kansas City that will equip you to ignite church planting movements among the neglected peoples of the earth. Join us June 5th through the 25th. This podcast is done in association with the MX Platform and 100M Publishing. The MX Platform is a space for any disciple to be resourced and equipped to release movement within your context. So whether you lead your family, a small group, or microchurch, or you're a planter or a pastor, you can find tools, resources, and training to help release potential within yourself and context. 100M Publishing publishes books by authors and thought leaders with new insight about movement DNA, discipleship, leadership, and movement dynamics. To learn more about these books and to check out the resources and training available, visit the mxplatform.com. Denny, it's uh, exciting to have you on the podcast. Thanks for coming. Thanks for saying yes to this. It's an honor to be with you, Joshua. It's been a long time, buddy. Yeah, it has. Uh, it has. And, you know, we were able... We were able to, as you were uh, pastoring uh, down in Gainesville, Florida, Mm -hmm. you were able Mm -hmm. to partner with us as we were reaching Syrian refugees in the the Middle East. Um, And so, yeah, the way that your church stepped up and was able to partner with us actually enabled a lot of fruit of disciple making amongst Muslims uh, and things that we probably wouldn't have been able to see if it wasn't for uh, that partnership with your church. And so thank you for stepping up and saying yes to the, the leading of God of where he was leading you. So thank you so much. You bet. We, we received a great deal from, from our partnership for sure. Yes. Yeah, it's good. You know, as I was looking over your bio, one of the things that 
that stood out to me is that you were you were really passionate about uh, mobilizing the next generation to create disciple making cultures in their context. Um, yes. How did you get to that place to say this is what I want to do? Well, uh, as in many cases, Joshua, it came out of, uh, may I say it, desperation. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As you know, I was was at the church for quite a while, and in my 13th year, all of a sudden I had this awakening that I was running. Um, I didn't intend to, but I was running. I was a CEO of running a religious organization but I wasn't making disciples. And now some of my dear brothers and sisters there would say, well, no, no, you were, but I wasn't, you know, you can't, you can't completely make disciples from a distance. You have to, you have to live with them. You know, you have to spend time with them, do life with them. And so um, I was losing the joy in my life because I truly didn't sign up for that. I, I wanted to develop people, especially men and their families. And so uh, it just, the joy was draining and I I couldn't hide it, especially from my spouse, uh, (laughs) my wife. And so uh, one evening as I came into the bedroom and uh, got under the covers, uh, I heard this voice beside me (laughs) and she said to me, and this is after, you know, I've tried to give you the context. She yeah. knew that I was wrestling with issues. And she says, does anything bring you joy anymore? Mm. And so I did the, the manly thing. And I didn't even look at her. And I reached up and turned off the light and went to sleep. <laughs> I didn't respond because I knew that she knew the answer and I knew the answer. Mm. And so uh, out of that uh discontent and eventually desperation. Um, I was, I was in traffic one day. Now I know it's all relative. You have traffic there in KC (laughs) compared to what we did in Caseville, but (laughs) I wasn't moving. And uh, this thought came to me as I was reflecting on a class that I was going to be leading for the church, uh, just one of the elective classes that we had on a Wednesday night. And the thought came to me, men only. And I thought, well, I didn't hear a voice, but it was this deep impression. I I couldn't shake it. And so it was a class on simply how to study the Bible. And I love that because I love getting down in the trenches with people and helping them because you don't get a sermon on how to study the Bible, how to read the Bible, how to apply it. So uh, I thought, okay. And so I I limited it to uh, just men. And that first Wednesday night, uh, among the other classes, I had about 18 guys walk into the room. I closed the door and I stood in front of them and I said, guys, I'm honored that you're here. I know you could be doing other things on a Wednesday night and I've got a, I've got a plan for us, but I need to know, um, why did you come? Yeah. And as soon as the question mark left my lips, uh, this gentleman off to my right uh, said, I've been told that I'm supposed to be the spiritual leader of my family. And then it, all of a sudden he took a, his, his study Bible. It was thick. Yeah. I mean, you could, you could beat somebody over the head yeah. with this thing. He picked it up and he said, but I feel like my wife is so far ahead of me. And he reached out and, and, and reached out mm. with the Bible. And he said, but I'm holding her back. And he drew it back to his chest. Mm. And I thought, Lord have mercy. This mm. wouldn't happen on a Sunday morning. 
Yeah. <laughs> and so as soon as he said that, another guy across the room said, I'm right there with you, brother. And all of a sudden, the kingdom appeared in the room. Hmm. And all these guys started saying, uh, how do I how do I apply this thing to my life and share it with my with my children? My how do I apply this stuff to my job when I think my job? My boss yeah. is asking me to do things that are unethical. So out of that class, uh, I ended up with 21 guys who said yes to me when I said at the end, I said, listen, guys, you got I taught them basically how to do lesson plans, how to how to and, you know, read the Bible inductively and apply yeah. it, but also to do lesson plans for their family or a youth group or a men's group or whatever. So uh, I said, you know, I want to go home. And, and be with my wife on a Wednesday night occasionally. So we're done. <laughs> but here's what I'll do with you. I will spend 60 to 90 minutes with you every week, one-on-one, one-on-two, or one-on-three. And I'll meet you anywhere you want to meet. Hmm. Uh, and I figured five or six guys would, would say yes. And, and please, if you're listening to this, do not do this. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, I was desperate, and I figured just a few guys would do it because I still had my full responsibilities as a pastor, and I ended up with 21 guys. Wow. Everybody. And that, that shows you how hungry they were, how thirsty they were to spend time in the scriptures and with somebody who cared. Yeah. And so I, I jettisoned a lot of my other responsibilities to my associate pastor, and uh Away we went, and I had twelve to fifteen point uh, appointments a week. Wow! Uh, and the rest is history. And I, I knew that that's what I was made for. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the teaching and preaching. Don't get me wrong, but doing life with those guys, and I don't mean just over a Bible and a and a cup yeah, of coffee. Yeah. I mean we we got together as well, you know. Yeah. Uh, but that's that was the start of it, <laughs> and from there. Uh, we invited this uh, this class that I'd never heard of before. It's called Perspectives. Yeah. And it absolutely ruined my <laughs> <laughs> intention for my life. <laughs> and so after two and a half years of discipling those guys and going to, I don't know how many perspective classes in our church and in our community, uh, we, I resigned and stepped, stepped away from that position and began uh, working with uh, leaders, uh, cross-cultural leaders in a mission-sending organization yeah. and uh, training them to become disciple-makers because the reality is just because you, most of our, most of our people came out of the, the church here in the West, yep. and the church in the West was not preparing them to be disciple-makers, and so why would we send them overseas to not to do something that they weren't doing here? So right. uh, that's how we kind of got into it. Yeah, that's good. As, as you you walk through that and you walk through a transition of going into cross-cultural work and started to help cross-cultural workers and, and mm -hmm. people in a cross-cultural setting make disciples. What was that transition like for you? And what did you learn in the midst of it as uh, the difference between uh, your own culture and different cultures and disciple making. What stands out the most, Joshua, is, is that the organization that I'm with, and my wife is is with me in this. We we help train people together, but uh, that you go as a humble learner, mm -hmm. and and unfortunately, 
many Westerners go go around the globe and they, because they have a blue passport from the United States of America, they already draw attention. Yep. And uh, I will never forget, we were doing some training in, in, uh, in Bangkok. And at the end of the week, this precious woman came up to me and she looked, she was much shorter than me. And she looked <laughs> up at me and she said, when I first saw you walk in the room, and now again, that was about six days earlier, I thought you were another arrogant American. Hmm. And I thought, wow, for her to, for her yeah. to say that was a big step for her. Yeah. And then she paid me a, a very high compliment uh, because uh, those who have gone before us, unfortunately, in certain situations have not been a good representative of a, uh, of a follower of Jesus and a yeah. humble owner. So that was, that was something that was very helpful. And I would say what was common though, was everywhere that I've went in the last 10 years, it'll be 10 years this summer. We found the same, the same issues regarding the gospel hmm. that are, that is here in the West. Yeah. Uh, the the understanding that primarily that you can you can become a Christian mm-hmm. without following Jesus, mm. and we have we have trumpeted mm. that kind of a gospel so clearly that it mm. was in every culture that I that I set foot in. Mm. That's sad. That's really sad. Um, so as you're walking with people, how do we get back to this place where it actually means we're following Jesus? Where back to the place of, hey, I'm a follower of Christ, uh, not just a a Christian. Yeah, well, it's interesting, isn't it, that uh, the word Christian is is used a whopping three times in the New Testament. (laughs) And, you know, the first first couple of times, uh, it wasn't uh, a term that was uh, attractive. But uh, the word disciple either as a noun or a verb is used 295 times. Mm. And so, uh, hello. Uh, <laughs> the, the problem is that we, we've separated uh, the, the whole salvation experience into two halves. You can, you can become mm. a Christian uh, and by saying a prayer, raising your hand, however you, you, that yeah. happens to you. Or if you really want to step up your game, yeah. as we would say, you can be a disciple. And so, we have this two-tiered system and we've got the, the crux of it is you have to go back to the gospel. Yeah. And the reality is that there are probably within our Western culture, Joshua, at least five, what I would call incomplete mm. uh, or toxic, uh, toxic gospels that have contaminated the, the kingdom gospel that Jesus mm. came to deliver and, and it's 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 affected, as I said, uh, cross culturally the the people that we've come into contact with. So how do we get back to it? We have to start with the gospel, yeah, and and really take a look at it. What was the gospel that Jesus proclaimed, and what did his disciples proclaim? And and not just not just take for granted what we're being told from a pulpit or a book, but go to the Bible, yeah, and investigate it, yeah. 
Can you can you uh, describe some of these false gospels and and uh, contrast that with what the gospel of the kingdom is? Yeah, the the dominant one, and you could you could sum up all of them uh, in a term that my mentor Bill Hull uses. He calls it the gospel Americana. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the the most dominant one is the forgiveness only gospel, hmm. uh, which, as I said, uh, just basically declares that all you have to do is be forgiven uh, and acknowledge that and you're good to go. And as Dallas Willard said uh, many times that that has become, uh, he called it the barcode gospel Mm. that, you know, when you raise your hand, you get a barcode. And then every time you walk into church, you, you know, you get scanned and you're okay because it's on the outside. (laughs) You did your deal, but if you and I were to walk into uh, a grocery store or a convenience store and, and take, mm-hmm. uh, let's say we do, we're just getting a bottle of water. So we'll, we'll go to the gas station, get gas, go in, grab a bottle of water. They scan it. It shows on the monitor exactly what it is and the price, right? Yep. But if that bottle was, was either polluted with some other liquid or even empty, it would say the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, th- the problem is that that has become the dominant gospel that I, I can get just enough blood from Jesus. He also calls it vampire <laughs> Christianity, you know, just enough to cover to cover my sins, but not enough to go full in all yeah. in with Jesus. So that's one of them. Another one is the consumer gospel. And I, I confess to you, as I look back on my my experience as a pastor, Oh, did that creep into my messages? Because mm. I wanted to meet people where they were, yeah. Uh, but they became consumers of good and goods and services of our church. Mm. And if there was a better opportunity for their kids or for themselves down the street, bye. Yeah. That's that. But we we live in that kind of a culture. The prosperity gospel is another one. And quite frankly, I. I began to follow Jesus in 1974, and that's right when, where I was living in Florida, the prosperity gospel was really coming into its hmm. its highlight. And I, unfortunately, I cut my teeth on that. And but I something just didn't make sense, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so that those are the big three. There's also the, you know, the gospel of deconstruction and detachment from the 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 spiritual aspect of the Bible. Hmm. Uh, some people would call that liberalism. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then the, the, the gospel that you can call it a number of things, but it's uh, we're right. You know, <laughs> we've, we've got it down. And it, as long as you come to hmm. our church, you'll, you'll be sure you get into heaven. So if you look at all those, there is some truth to them, but they're incomplete yeah. and they have this toxic, uh, the, this toxic uh, doctrine in it that has has fogged up the rest of it that is mm. that is appropriate. So you we need to go back to the kingdom gospel. And uh, I'll tell you something funny that happened to me. I was in my last year of seminary. Now this is after four years of Bible college and four years of seminary. Uh, three girls, and I'm I'm awaiting my what we would call in my my tribe, my appointment to yeah. go to a church because we're sent. And so uh, I was looking at my bookshelf one, one evening and I looked at my shelf and I had about four books on the kingdom of God. And I thought, 
Heiberg, you can't even communicate the definition of the kingdom of God. <laughs> and you, 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 you're eight years into this thing now. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And you bought all these books. So uh, fast forward a couple of nights, I'm all, laying on my back with, with my beginner's Bible for my three girls, got two of them on one side, one on the other, and I've got it over my head and I'm reading this, this, uh, this Bible. You may, you may have got this one for Luke. It's got the watercolor characters with, with ping pong balls for eyes. Yeah. yeah. It's, the Jesus it's, it's storybook great. Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so anyway, uh, they were talking about the, the section I was reading that night was the parables of the kingdom. And it says, uh, this is, uh, it was about the tiny seed in a big tree. Yeah. And here's what it said. It said, many people come to hear Jesus's stories. Um, Jesus told stories about God's kingdom. And then I stopped when I, when I read these words, God's kingdom is wherever God is king. And I stalled <laughs> and I get this elbow from one of them saying, come on, dad, come on, dad. And I thought to myself, if I would have read this, yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have had to buy all those books and I might have saved some time. But seriously, God's kingdom is wherever Jesus is king in that in that situation, in yeah. that in that attitude, in that conversation, in that act, wherever his nature and character are being displayed or revealed. That's his kingdom. Yeah. And, you know, you can. I mean, Dallas Willard has some some nice, nice uh, definitions of that. You know, the the range of God's effective will or whatever, wherever uh, it's wherever Jesus once done is done. Yep. You know, but I had to I had to I, I must have missed that day when they covered it in, in <laughs> seminary. But not many people understand the kingdom of God, Josh. Yeah. Yeah. And that was from the very beginning, Jesus announced the kingdom like that. That's what he, he talked about, the kingdom of God, the kingdom. He's he's sending out his disciples in Luke 10. He says, go <laughs> sit, eat with people, heal the sick and then proclaim the good news of the kingdom. You, The kingdom of God is near. So we have to figure out what is this kingdom of God? Uh, like if yeah. we because that's the good news, the kingdom of God. Um, and so. As we're we're entering it, I think one of the things is you said, you know, the forgiveness gospel that we had, you know, a, a big transition in my life that actually got me focused on Arab Muslims is when I transitioned my life from Jesus as Savior or I was forgiven to Jesus as Lord, right? There's a now this Lordship of Jesus. I want to follow Christ in all of my life. And he started to, to work in my heart for Arab Muslims. And that's when... Mm. Six months later, I met Meredith um, on eHarmony, and she said, I want to live in the Middle East. Uh, if you're not up for that, we don't even have to talk. And uh, and the rest is history as we continue to pursue that. But it was that lordship of Jesus and saying, okay, Jesus, you are king, um, and I want to follow Thank you. you. Um, and that was really where, where my life changed. It wasn't the... Um, Savior Jesus, which is a beautiful thing and is very true, right? It is, it is definitely true, but it was incomplete. Um, yeah. There was so that lordship. Uh, what what are some things as you're walking with men and you're walking with people in this discipleship cu culture? How can we integrate uh, 
Jesus as king, the kingdom of God, into mm-hmm. all of our life? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, as you, as you were talking, Jesus came proclaiming uh, the gospel of God. And that the first thing, and the beautiful part of Mark 1 is that Mark not only tells us that he was proclaiming the gospel of God, but he gives us the recipe. He tells us, he copied down exactly what he said. (laughs) And so he starts off with the kingdom of God. And Mark, as you know, in the very beginning of that that gospel account, this is the beginning of the the gospel of God, uh, of Jesus the Christ. Yeah. And so, you know, um, (laughs) before I, before I, began uh, attempting to follow Jesus. I was not raised in a Christian home. And so I, I know you're going to laugh, but I'm not the only one. Uh, I thought Christ was his last name. Yeah. I mean, I spent two summers working construction. I know that <laughs> I, I, I knew it was his last name yeah. <laughs> from the guys that the guys that worked around me. So, but when I began to realize that Christ was his title, that it meant God's anointed, his, the, his anointed king, yeah. that, that opened up a, a whole new realm for me. And then the reality that, and I don't know about if you've ever thought of this, if you could live at any particular time during the Bible that we have the record of, what time would that be? But I would, my, my go is this one. I would love to, to be alive and witness the 40 days from the resurrection to the ascension hmm. and just soak up what he had to say, because, you know, you get to, you get to acts one and it, in, in, in verse three, it says that when he appeared to his disciples, all he spoke about, or the only thing that Luke records is the kingdom of God. And then you turn hmm. to the very last verse of the Bible or of the book of acts. And what do you find? That's what Paul's teaching about. Hmm. And yeah. so, it's so dominant, but we just, we don't hear much about it. Yeah. And so how do we, how do we weave it in <clears throat> to life? I, I think uh, what I did with our guys is I took them through the book uh, of John and we used it as a roadmap yeah. so that we could grasp who Jesus truly is and what he expects of, of us. I mean, he is our, he is our model. His, it's not just his message we believe, but we believe he, he's our model uh, on, how, on how to live out our lives. Mm. So yeah. one, one, of the, one of the interesting things, too, is that um, this about this whole kingdom thing and why do, why do we do it? Why do, why do we even bother uh, making a, such a big deal out of it? Well, Jesus talked about the kingdom 107 times in the, in the gospel accounts and Paul uses a term that you're familiar with. It's called an icon. Now, most of us know what an icon is. It's an image, but he uses that term three times to describe believers, to describe followers Mm. of Jesus. And the only other time that that particular word is used is describing Jesus Mm. as the father's icon. He's the Mm. visible image. So you and I are visible images of Jesus, where yeah. Jesus was the visible image of the Father. Yeah, yeah. So but that's that's beautiful. We are the the true embodiment of Jesus on earth, exactly as the body exactly. of Christ. Um, and you know, we have created a distorted image of Jesus um, that we don't have this. We we don't reflect Jesus in his fullness, but we can 
do that together um, mm. in community, uh, one another. Yeah. We need the body. We can't just yeah. do it on our own. So what is that? Uh, what is a discipleship culture for you, disciple making culture as uh, a communal culture, one to another in community um, so that we could actually reflect Jesus uh, more fully? Well, the first thing I, I, that comes to mind, Joshua, is that you and I, whoever is going to attempt this, we can't do it apart from him, obviously. And in that yeah. whole chapter 15 in John, you know, it says that you have to abide in me. And the good news is we're not the one that produces the fruit. Yeah. We, we bear it. We have the privilege yeah. of bearing that fruit, displaying that fruit, giving, giving visible proof of that of that fruit, but we don't produce it. So that takes a lot of the pressure off, uh, at yeah. least in my mind, but uh, the, the, it has to be done in community. And let me give you an example. Um, my wife and I just moved from Florida to, to uh, just above Nashville, Tennessee, uh, four years ago. And we were the first house that was built on the street that we live on. And I said to her, after having uh, some seven years in this mission sending organization and learning what it really means to be a cross-cultural worker, going as a learner and listening, I said, uh, honey, here's the deal. We get to set the, the welcome culture mm. on this street. I mean, nobody else is here. So wow. the first yeah. people to get here besides <laughs> us, we get to set it uh, just as if we were sent to the Middle East, mm. yeah. you know? Yeah. So we, we put together a, uh, a welcome basket, found out when the, ha when the next uh, tenants were going to close on their house. And we, we had it put on their counter with a little card and just said, we're thrilled that you're here. Et cetera, et cetera. So we we tried to do that to as yeah. many as we could, and then Lord willing, uh, in fact, it, it began to some other people picked up that and mm. and did it for their their others. But uh, I believe I believe that hospitality is one of the best ways to embody uh, the character of Jesus in our culture mm. today, because yeah. people just don't they don't want they don't want to hear you. Uh, they want to they want to feel like somebody really cares. Yeah. And so we've tried to do that. Mm. And hospitality is my wife's number one gift. And uh, I'm, I'm hanging on. <laughs> <laughs> but, but seriously, we love it. We love having people over and, you know, COVID just, just yeah. about melted us. It, yeah. it, we were, we were, we were drying up, brother. We were yeah. just drying up. It, it's, it's really difficult. You know, when you're trying to set this hospitality culture, you have COVID, you're not able to have people in your home. Um, I mean, that's, it's really what the kingdom is about. Like you're, you're talking about the table, you're talking about people mm -hmm. sitting around eating together um, and conversing about the kingdom, um, walking with people in their hurts and their struggles. Um, you know, as we're, as you're, we're setting this type of, of culture, one of the things that we're going to have to do is be very patient uh, with others to, to walk them through um, and sit with people in their, in their struggles. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Because people are, uh, uh, most people, uh, as you found out 
uh, probably to a ministry that we're traumatized by something like there's yes there's yes. a lot of trauma in our lives that are oh, that's not question. dealt with that yes. holds us back from seeing Jesus at work in our lives um, and following him so as we create this hospitality culture and we bring people in that are are broken just like all of us and that is seeking wholeness in Jesus how do we how do we sit with people and walk people through to this place of bringing them to to Jesus um, what does that look like for again I'll go back to our neighborhood for us it was everything from me mowing somebody else's yard mm. and and we're not talking about acres here we're talking about postage stamps yeah. for yards <laughs> but the point was I wanted to show that that uh, I would that I cared, you know, and yeah. so if they were away, I would mow their yard if if uh, there was ice and snow on people's driveway. And I'm from Florida, for crying out loud. <laughs> I didn't have a shovel, <laughs> but but I would I would I would get a, a shovel. And we have some we have some neighbors across the street, a very young couple. Uh, newlyweds from uh, from South Asia, hmm. and uh, I have been to the country uh, or to the the state of this country in South Asia, and so uh, they were thrilled to know that I had been there yeah. and that I enjoyed their food, obviously. <laughs> uh, but uh, they weren't they didn't expect uh, I don't think an American to come over and literally. Uh, dig through the the three inches of ice that were in their driveway, uh, and I even got a neighbor to help me. Uh, he he offered to help me, and and so it's 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 acts like that uh, yeah. of kindness that speak much louder. In fact, this the the young lady had some relatives at her house last week, and she wanted to borrow our our kids' little wagon because mm -hmm. she had I guess some nephews or something there. Uh, and she just thanked us again for how much mm. uh, our relationship had meant to her. Mm. So uh, I, I love your word, patient. Yeah. <laughs> Man, when I left Bible college, it, you had to seal the deal. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, but I have learned over time that this is a, you know, the long obedience in the same direction as, as, uh, yeah. as Eugene would say. And you just you can't put it on your timetable. So it's trying to be it. You want to be authentic yeah. and, uh, and try to take in, in, in an interest in, in something they're interested in. I don't know how many houses that my wife has been at helping other women in their front yards and their spouses for that matter, uh, helping with their gardens. Mm. She, she's got a green arm for crying out loud, yeah. you know? And so that is a great bridge. Yeah. I mean, you just you just try to listen uh, mm. to what the Lord is saying in the midst of all these opportunities. And yeah. we take it, you know, we we swing and miss more times <laughs> than we than we hit it square. But but, brother, I at this stage of the game and, you know, I didn't come in there as the pastor. I came in there yeah. as a neighbor. Yep. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Isn't that nice? It's spending oh. that much time as a pastor, and now you can just come as a neighbor. Doesn't that feel good? <laughs> oh, brother, I'm telling you, because I was marked before. Yeah. Uh huh. But but here, 
there are still people, some of them do know that I have been a pastor and kind of what I do now, because I, you know, we were leaving yeah. occasionally to, to go uh, on the road, but, but uh, a number of them don't. And that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. You know, as you're, uh, you have uh, five grandchildren now, is that right? Yes. yes. So six, all, six and under. Um, as you you've looked back on on your life now, as you you have grandchildren, I know that a lot of grandparents have, have say you know once they have grandchildren, there's uh, there's a lot that you can learn um, and a lot of beautiful things that happen with with grandchildren. Um, what have you learned as you've started to to really disciple your grandchildren um, and to walk with them? Uh, in their life, is there any anything that you have learned in those that setting? Have you sat down with Luke with a, a set of logo, uh, Legos lately? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can learn a lot. Yeah. Uh, I don't. I, you know, I was hoping that somehow we could get to this, but I've got news for you, and I'll be, I'll be transparent. I don't have a reason not to with you. Uh, I have regrets of the amount of time that I spent away from our three precious girls because mm. I was going through Bible college and seminary yeah. and then pastoring. Mm. Now they've told me they don't, you know, they didn't feel robbed, but I was robbed. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know? And so now, uh, fortunately, uh, three, three, two or three of them are in our house three days a week. Uh, for for Nana school, yeah. So Cindy takes it seriously. It's 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 an extended, or I should say, never ending VBS uh, <laughs> and Montessori school combined. Yeah. Uh, but there, you're exactly right, Joshua. You can learn so much, and quite frankly, our culture in America does not value <laughs> the 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 ministry, the investment of grandparents. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm re in fact, uh, you can laugh at this, but I'm, I'm reading a, I'm reading a couple books on what is it? How do we grandparent as, as followers of Jesus? Hmm. How should that be different than yeah. the people that don't follow Jesus? Well, it yeah. should be, we should not only be following what Deuteronomy tells us, uh, but also what the Psalmist tells us about the value of investing in these kids. And so, hmm. uh, you caught me at an interesting time in my journey because I'm, I'm wrestling with, with, uh, with moving forward in more in my relationship with my grandchildren and saying no to some other things. Mm. Because the reality is I only have them in our home for a brief time. Yeah. And I don't, uh, I, I don't want to miss it. I need to teach them how to, how to switch hit, you know? <laughs> exactly. And I, yeah. And they can't learn that from reading a book. <laughs> I got to get out in the yard with the tea yep. and, the, and the bat. So, uh, I would, if there are any grandparents that happen to be listening to this, oh, uh, I pray that that you would take very, very seriously the the impact that you have on mm. on these kids, and uh, and I don't want to miss it. So, yeah, yeah, thanks for asking about that. Uh, we are we are so fortunate to have those precious children in our lives and to yeah. be that close. Yeah, you know, and it's you know we have you know Meredith's uh, mother Mitzi lives. Uh, with us, she has her own little apartment in, uh, okay. in her basement, and so she gets to to be with Luke um, a lot, and uh, mm. we're so thankful that she's there. 
Um, but that, I mean, man, that relationship, just watching Luke and then watching Luke with my parents, like just to see that, that love that's, that's there. And then they, what I love about that is that not only with, you know, my wife and I, but with the grandparents, he's secure. He knows that he's loved. Um, somebody came up mm. to me the other day and he, he it was at this party and, and uh, he said, so how are you doing discipling your, your son? And so I just, Luke was, was at the end of the table and I just, just, you know, shouted over to him. I was like, Luke, do you feel loved? And he's like, yes, of course I, I feel loved. And I was like, see, there you go. That's how I'm yeah. doing. Like that's as, as I want him mm. to walk in love and mm. be secure in that. Um, a lot of the other things, you know, it falls into place. It's, you know, mm. so that's, that's the thing that I've found with, you know, with Luke being around his grandparents as well, is that, that secure feeling that I, I am known, I am loved, I'm cared for. Um, it's it's a big, big thing. It's huge. Well, we had Cindy's parents live with us as well, Joshua. Uh, my father-in-law was there for three years before he passed away, and then uh, 10 years for for Cindy's mother. And our daughters were enriched by them. Yeah. And as I look at the privilege that I have now, I am really taken seriously uh, being more intentional. I mean, they're in the house and I'm in my office and I'm thinking right. I need to be out there with the Legos uh, or in the backyard with the, with the ball and the tee uh, to, uh, to show them how to switch it. But you're building, you're building relationships and you're yeah. letting them know that you love them. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I love this phrase that uh, my, uh, my four, one of the four-year-old boys says, he says, you're the best. <laughs> now, where did he pick that up? He picked it up from his mom and dad. Yeah. And we echo it. You're yeah. no, you're the best. <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Well, uh, Denny, it's been uh, really good. So the couple of questions that I have at the end, uh, one is that I ask uh, if you could go back to your 21 year old self, uh, what advice would you give? Well, uh, the uh, the backstory is I began my journey at 19 and three quarters. So I would say, you ain't seen nothing yet, buddy. Because <laughs> uh, I'd only been in it about a year at that point, a little bit over a year. Um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. And so this was all new to me at, at 20. So yeah. if, if I were to speak to my 21-year-old self, I would say, listen, there's going to be a lot of noise, but uh, you need to you need to listen closely to Jesus mm. and 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 to to spend time with him. And I probably wouldn't I would have said, well, of course, what yeah. else? <laughs> uh, but that's that's it. Uh, I met Brennan Manning Manning a number of years ago when he was speaking at my daughter's college. And I went back. And I thought I'll never get this chance again. Yeah. So I went back and I said, I explained that I was pastoring, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, what, what do you recommend? He just says, spend more time with Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's what I'd say. I'd say, uh, yeah, you know, get, listen closely. Yeah. Uh, again, there's a lot of so-called Christian uh, teaching. Uh, some of it's rich, some of it's not. And I would say, focus on Jesus, mm -hmm. listen to him. 
and follow him closely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's good. Anything you've been reading or watching lately you could recommend? Well, uh, you caught me at an interesting time. I've spent uh, six days away by myself and uh, I have laughed. I've needed this, quite frankly. I've, I needed some space. So <clears throat> he doesn't need my my endorsement, but uh, I've just got through reading Undistracted by Bob uh, Goff. Yeah. <laughs> and and you need a little Bob in your life now and then. Yes, but you do. <laughs> I, I would say for probably the audience that you have, uh, and I have dozens and dozens discipleship books. Uh, one I came across from a mission agency that's been out for 10 years is called A Better Way, uh, Make Disciples Wherever Life Happens. Hmm. And I have found it, It's and it's got a number of uh, authors in it. I think it's edited by uh, Dale Losh, but it is a fantastic book because remember, you know, Jesus didn't call uh, a, those guys on the hillside of Galilee uh, who were all pastors, right? Yeah. Yep. They were blue, blue collars, workers, et cetera. And so unless, unless everybody understands that they are expected because of the discipleship gospel, it's a part of our salvation in yep. Christ. It's expected of us unless they can do it wherever life happens. Uh, I love it. He, he talks about uh, the 1040 window. You're familiar with that, yeah. and I'm familiar with that, and I'm sure most of your listeners are. But he talks about the 925 window. Hmm. And I, when I read it, I thought, 925? <laughs> oh, it's the 9 to 5 window. <laughs> and he's, he's nailed it. I mean, well, if we're yeah. if we're not intentional about building bridges where we work, hmm. we, we missed it. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's really good. Uh, that was great. Well, Denny, uh, it was just a, a privilege to talk to you. Walk walking with you into uh, this discipleship culture, uh, figuring out what is the gospel of the kingdom and what does it look like to to start to love our, our grandchildren well so that they could well, go come up and say yes to Jesus, follow him and uh, walk with him uh, throughout their days too. Um, so we go generation to generation. Um, so that's beautiful. So thank you, Denny. I really enjoyed it. It's my privilege. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.